Yo, yo, my name is Gio from Gio Knows Nothing Back with another episode, one time to feed the streets here with my co-host, Eric. Are you going to say what's up? Oh, what's up? I, I wasn't sure if like you were tossing to me or if you were like pause just forgetting my initial or maybe I maybe the audio dropped out again. But Oh, yeah, oh. I forgot our gimmick. Eric B and Gio Kim, the duo here to spit some bars uh, about some wrestling shit and uh, MLB. So let's get into some MLB. Oh, wait, hold on. Before we get into some MLB news, we have a new member of our team. I would love to introduce to everybody. You guys can't hear him, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. His name is Big Papa Pump, Alex, our producer. He's going to be here to fact check uh, everything and to be talking shit to us in the background. That's right. Only we can hear him, and only I can misrepresent the things that he says. Yeah, I'm not here to bury Alex. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in a good word. Everything you hear from me is true. Everything you hear from Eric about Alex is most likely true. Emphasis on most likely. Big emphasis on most likely. Um, so yeah, shout out to Alex. Thank you for helping us. Um, I love you. I'll give you a big kiss on the forehead when I see you again. Let's get into some MLB motherfucking news. First off, we have the Yankees acquiring Jamison Tyon, former pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, this is a big deal because he has had two Tommy John surgeries. Uh, he, there was also one point where he took a line drive off of his head and continued pitching in the game. So he's a beast, but the big question is, can he re- recover from having two Tommy John surgeries? He also joins a star-studded starting rotation headlined by Garrett Cole, but also including Corey Kluber. Uh, so yeah, he'll fit perfectly right into the middle of that rotation. It won't be as much stress on him as there possibly was on Pittsburgh, even though Pittsburgh was a junk box team. So for Tyon, did he actually have two Tommy John surgeries or I thought he went the Chris Sale route and got in he got injured he injured his elbow at the end of 2018 or no he got injured at the end of 2019 and then he got Tommy John surgery prior to last season and now he's he should be back this year this would be a great time for our great producer Alex to give us a nice answer it's great to have a fact checker now He's going to tell us who's right, who's wrong. And I mean, we all know the name of this podcast, so I think we know who's right already. But once Alex confirms it for me, that's it's going to be that much better. He has had two. You have the years on those? Oh, yeah, you guys can't hear him. Uh, Alex has confirmed he has had two Tommy John surgeries. So Gio was right. God. Gio knows something sometimes. Ah, uh, this kind of stings a bit. So Alex couldn't find the dates of the Tommy John surgery, but we found out a- another reason why Jameson Tyone is just a fucking beast. He's beaten testicular cancer. In 2016, you said, Alex? 2017. So I'm just going to throw this out there. We might need to already fire our fact checker because I found the dates of his... Tommy John surgeries by literally going on his Wikipedia page. It says Tyon underwent Tommy John surgery in April 2014 to repair the UCL ligament in his throwing arm. So, you know what? 
uh, knowing that, and then a sports hernia caused him to miss the 2015 season. This dude's got one good season under his belt. That this is, I mean, the Yankees are loaded as it is, and Tyon's like, you know what? Tyon reminds me a lot of Nathan Avaldi right now. He's a guy that has a lot of upside, but it, his injury questions are a legitimate concern. But if he stays healthy, like the dude's got a rocket for an arm. And if he can like pitch the run support that he'll get, he doesn't need to have an ERA above below four to win. Yeah, even if he has like a like a three three point five ERA, it'll still be a good pickup for a middle of the rotation guy that could go out there and guarantee you that he's gonna pitch every five days. I mean, if he pitches every five days. Right, that's the big question. Because like Avaldi was a workhorse for the Sox when they won in twenty eighteen. Facts. Pitching pitching out the pen too. Yeah, this dude could be a very sneaky good pickup. So he'll definitely be one to he'll be a fun one to watch actually. As much as I don't like the Yankees, like this is a really good signing. This is a really good pickup. Was this a signing or a trade? It was a trade. Yeah, for uh, Miguel Ujire. I don't. I I butchered that. Miguel Yajor and Roanzi Contreras. Prospects basically. Yeah, they got four four minor leaguers for the guy. Huh. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Will that come back to bite them though later on? A lot of things to keep our eyes on. Listen, Alex, we already got the dates, buddy. <laughs> for those listening at home, Alex just came up with us with the dates of the Tommy John surgery that we got two minutes ago. Yeah, a clean thirty five minutes after we asked him for it. Guys, if if nothing else you need to subscribe to this podcast, share it with all your friends and family, let the whole world hear it, let us get that ad revenue, just so we can get Alex a new computer that actually works. Please, I promise you, first big paycheck we get from this podcast, I'm buying Alex a laptop that works. Uh, Yeah, yeah, emphasis on big paycheck. Yeah, so you're going to have to wait a little bit, buddy. We need all those listeners, people. Hashtag get Alex a computer that isn't a piece of crap. Speaking of a piece of crap... The piece of crap Red Sox are just turning into non-pieces of crap because, you know, the crappiest part of our team was our pitching. But this past week, they've acquired Adam Ottavino and prospect Frankie Herman from the Yanks for a, a player to be named later, or cash, as well as $850,000. This is... Uh, I see this kind of more of like a chess move from the Sox. Uh, I believe they picked up Ottavino in hopes that he'll do good uh, at the beginning of next uh, season so that they could end up trading him for either prospects or a big player. I don't know who that would be. Uh, I don't know if uh, Adovino will do good next season. Uh, he had a pretty good solid season last season. His ERA skyrocketed literally because of one outing where he gave up, I think, like six runs. Besides that, he had a really good season that season. The two seasons before that when he was uh, in Colorado and with the Yanks uh, were great. So we'll see what happens. This is a great piece for our bullpen. He'll most likely be our closer. Not even most likely, he'll be our closer. Kind of excited to see what he does because I'm a, I'm a fan of him just because of MLB The Show. Is is that a theme for you? Like you're just fans of guys because they're yes. levels in the show? Uh, to For some people, yeah. All right, well. Uh, it could, because I got like I got like reintroduced to baseball through MLB The Show. Oh, that makes plenty of sense. Well, for for me, what I look at is is his 2019 season, and I, I'm not going to just completely throw 2020 out the window. 
but it was a short season, especially for relievers. He only had 24 appearances. And like you said, he had a really bad outing one night. That one bad outing in a 60-game season where you only pitch in 24 of them, that's going to skew your numbers heavily. So, I mean, that 2019 season, he had a very, very good year. Uh, 73 appearances, had 66 and a third innings, 88 strikeouts. So he's striking out over one one batter per inning, whereas walks, he had 40 walks. It's not the end of the world, but, you know, a middle relief guy who can give you some reliable innings, it's not a bad pickup. He's on the tail end of his prime. Uh, comfortably say that he's out of his prime. But if he can at least be like a stable arm in the middle of the Red Sox bullpen, I don't see any reason why we could look at this as anything other than a bad deal. Yeah, if worse comes to worse, we could always have uh, Matt Barnes be our closer again. Yeah, I mean, that's likely what it's going to be. I don't foresee Ottavino stepping in and being a closer. But, you know, if he's that middle relief guy who's going to come in and pitch the sixth or seventh inning, as long as he's not, you know, giving up monster dongs to the middle of the order, who cares? I mean, I think they'll have him be the closer, but it, it is it really is a toss-up between him and Matt Barnes, since Matt Barnes has been the only consistent piece of our bullpen for, like, the last two years. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you look at the Red Sox roster now, there's, you know, who are you really going to have close outside of Barnes? I think that maybe they look at Ottavino and see him as a guy that they, that could do that, but I, I don't really think so. I honestly think that you're better off running with, like, Barnes. Barnes should be your primary closer. And then, honestly, I know he didn't have a great couple, last couple years, but... I'd probably be more comfortable putting Brazier in that role as a closer again, rather than, you know, sticking with Ottavino. But as long as these guys can be decent, they'll be they'll be a solid bullpen. Yeah, at the end of the day they still but, need a couple more pieces in that pen. Like at least like one or two more solid arms. Uh but as far as the closer role goes, it's kinda just one of those things we gotta just chalk it up and see what happens once the season actually starts because even spring training got delayed, so we don't even know when the fuck the season is gonna start. Yeah, yeah and it's one of those things where like you could have a guy like Brazier come into spring training, because that's where Brazier won his job in twenty eighteen. He showed up to spring training, pitched well enough to end up in Pawtucket, and then when a roster spot opened up in the bullpen, he jumped into it and was a key key factor in that team winning the World Series that year. Adding Ottavino is not a bad move, but the one thing that does cause me concern is when you search Adam Ottavino's name on YouTube, the first thing that comes up right now is Yankees GM praises Red Sox high in bloom for smart Adam Ottavino trade. That sounds shady as fuck. That sounds like you're patting like a five-year-old on the head and saying, hey, good job with the with the macaroni art. Look what little Jimmy did today in <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> it, it, even wrote his it name. It's very condescending. I'm gonna put it up on the on the fridge. Look at this, guys. Alex even managed to boot up his computer today. Good job, Alex. Here's a gold star. But he couldn't download Audacity. It's okay, Alex. We love you. You know somebody who I don't love. Again, going back to MLB the show, JT Real Muto. You know, you have your George Springer rant from last week. You kind of went off on him. You know, it's fine. Some people think he deserves it. My hate for GT Real Muto is not warranted at all. But believe it or not, it's there. You best believe. I hate him. 
not as a player, but as a player in MLB The Show. His card has always been ass ever since his finest from MLB The Show 19. His finest this year, I haven't even tried it because I, I'm scarred emotionally. I have a place in in the, the, the part of my heart that I consider hell for JT Realmuto. You know, I will say this comparing my hatred of George Springer to your hatred of JT Realmuto. At least George Springer did something in real life to be <laughs> worth the hate. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. At least you had a good reason to hate him. My hate for him makes no sense, but it's still very real subconsciously. So, yeah, I mean, as much as you hate him. Uh, Great player in real life. Yeah, did we expect anything else? Real Mudo's arguably the best all-around catcher in baseball. And I say arguably because, you know, if you say he's undoubtedly the best, there's there's always going to be people who have something to say. But realistically, though, who's better so, than him when it comes to an all-around aspect at catcher? Like, he has the speed, he has the bat, he has the framing, he has the arm. He's the complete package, and you just don't see that in catchers these days. This is the type of contract that you see in the NFL. Where when a top player at a position becomes a free agent, they sign the richest contract in history for that position. And that's what we have with Real Mudo here. He's got everything you want. He can catch. He's a good defensive catcher. He is a great middle-of-the-order bat. He's not going to be the type of guy that's going to knock you 40 and 100. But, you know, last season... His last three full seasons, he had 25 and 83, 21 and 74, 17 and 65. Going back even further, 11, 48, 10 and 47, home runs in RBI. He's He gets better. His power numbers are increasing every year. His batting average has stayed around that 275 level. His OBP is, his, actually his OBP this year is his lowest since his first full season. What's his uh, OPS plus looking like? And when I say last season, I mean 2019, not 2020. Uh, 2020, his OBP was 349, OPS plus 123, OPS of 840. Good ball player. Damn good ball player. Yeah, and that's why he broke Joe Maurer's uh, record for at least annual salary for a catcher by $100,000, literally. He's getting $23.1 million a year as opposed to Joe Maurer getting $23 million. It's saying what he's. It's gonna be twenty million a year with a ten million dollar deferral. Those deferrals are great. The for for those of you that don't know, I would recommend looking up Bobby Bonilla, because he signed a deferred contract back in like. Alex, you want to look this up for us? Uh, Bobby Bonilla, his when he signed his contract where he's getting his deferred money, and the dude gets paid a million dollars once a year to not play baseball for the Mets. It's awesome. No, no, no! Isn't that isn't that uh, fuck? What's his name? Julio Franco? No, it's Bobby Bonilla. I I could have swore it was Julio Franco. Yeah. So here's the story behind it. He signed in 2000, and Mets agreed to buy out the remaining 5.9 million on Bonilla's contract. So, but what he did, what the agreement was, was that they deferred the 5.9 million. And now instead they make annual payments of $1.2 million for 25 years, starting on July 1st, 2011. Shout out to Bobby Bonilla, bro. He got the bag. Literally, you just get played like you had your career, you're chilling, you're retired, and you're still getting money from the MLB to literally sit there and be an old man. 
Like, like who who wouldn't want that? Honestly, no one. No one would ever turn that down. Max Scherzer actually has one right now too. Hundred five million total from the Nationals that will be paid out through twenty twenty eight. So even if he retires sometime in the next eight years, which, I mean, he might. I mean, it's Max Scherzer. I'm pretty sure the guy's a robot. But until 2028, he'll be getting paid every year. I mean, Max Scherzer is 36. He's going to be 44 when he gets his last paycheck. 43. What a deal. Speaking of deals, I think that Toronto may or may not have came up on a deal by signing Marcus Simeon to a one-year contract reportedly worth $18 million. One year for the guy... That came in third in MVP voting in 2019, which reasonably to to this point has only been his only real phenomenal year. But if he could get back to that and they only have him for a year and help make a playoff push and even deep into the playoffs, then they'll get their bang for their buck. I heard the A's qualifying offer, I believe, was only for $10 million, and that's why he didn't take it. Um... So he, he took a one-year deal, and they could give him a qualifying deal for next year that he's most likely not going to take, depending on how he plays, uh, because he wants a longer contract. But if they could get the most out of him for this one season that they do have him, then it could be a really nice pickup for Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I really like this for Toronto. I think this is really a move to shore up depth uh, more than anything else, because he plays shortstop in third base, and... I just, unless they're moving Vladdy Jr., I just don't see him being an everyday player because I, I don't think you move Kevin Vigio right now. I don't think you move Bo Bichette right now. I, I just don't necessarily know if Simeon's a guy that you want to bring in, but like they're bringing him in at one year and $18 million. So they're not cheaping out. Like they're really spending the money here. And I'm, I think if he's anything more than a depth piece, what are you what are you doing with it? Are you gonna move be moving your own roster around? So reportedly, uh, the rumor is that they're gonna move Biggio to third, have Simeon at second, and then move Vladdy to first, with with them rotating accordingly because they want Biggio to be like their super uh, utility guy. Because Marcus Simeon is so bad going to his right defensively, which in my opinion would make more sense to him playing at third, but whatever. Second base, he has a little less ground to cover. He doesn't have to go in, into the hole so much. He could kind of rely on, on Bo to try to get balls up the middle. So basically, Kevin Biggio is going to play second when the Red Sox when they're playing the Red Sox and Rafael Devers. Otherwise, he's going to be playing third base when they're facing every other team in the AL East with right-handed power hitters. That is essentially their plan, reportedly. Obviously, they haven't come out and just outright that, said that, but that's that's what's going around. Yeah. That they want Biggio to be their super utility guy because that's a big thing in the MLB now, thanks to the Dodgers and you know them having so many players that could play so many different positions. I mean, it's definitely a good thing. It's a good problem to have, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's kind of like a breath of fresh air that this whole new meta has come into baseball and all teams are following suit because the the Twins did it too when they got uh, Anderson Simmons because they're going to move Jorge Polanco to second and have Julio Arise be their utility guy. Maybe I'm overhyping Kevin Biggio, 
I, I think he can be very good. I don't think moving one of your young guys off their primary position for a, a veteran on a one-year contract isn't... It's so if they had signed him to like maybe like a three-year $60 million deal or something like that, or maybe like three years 50, I probably would be a lot more receptive to this move. Less like... What's the word I'm looking for? Less hesitant to say it's a good move for them. Because then it would be he's part of the long-term plan. But at one year... I just don't see the guy being part of the long-term plan, and it seems like it's going to be a move that stunts the development of one of their other guys. I kind of see it from from the other perspective because I kind of see it as like a good opportunity because I don't know I don't know off the top of my head if he has played third base before, like ever. I'm pretty sure he has, like in in the big leagues. Uh, Semyon Semyon has played third base, yes. No, Biggio. Oh, Biggio. Um, I yeah. actually, yeah, I really don't know off the top of my head. I, I don't know, but if he hasn't, it's a good chance for him to get the experience at third for at least this one season. So yeah. next year when they most likely don't have Simeon, he could either move back to second or they could pick up a different second baseman on the free agent market or trade for a different second baseman and still have him be that yeah. utility guy. If they have him rotate accordingly. Yeah. So according to Biggio's, uh, baseball reference page, he has played second base, right field, and third base. Ah, uh, okay. So he has at least uh, some experience at third. Yeah, would sound like it. I mean, if that's the case, then more reps, I guess, which it, w- which again, in the long term, makes him more of a complete player, being able to play third and second and the outfield if he has to. Yeah, and actually, I'm looking at the Blue Jays' depth chart right now. Uh, Vladdy is at first base. He's not even listed as a third baseman anymore. What, is, what does it say for Biggio? Uh, second base, still for Biggio. Uh, but Semyon also isn't listed yet because I don't. It, that deal must not be done. Oh uh, yeah. Formally. No, I, I could have swore that like the Blue Jays announced it like on their socials. They might have, but I don't know. Maybe this is the depth chart at the end of last season. They might not update it. Yeah, but that wasn't the only deal that Toronto made because they also added some starting pitching help to their rotation by acquiring Steven Matz from the Mets for three young pitchers, essentially. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, who I'm pretty sure pitched some innings for him or for them last season. And he looked all right. Uh, I think he started for them last season, I believe. But he's more of like a bullpen guy because uh, I think he only has two pitches essentially like he only has a fastball slider unless i'm thinking of somebody else on their team uh you might be thinking of someone else because according to the blue jays depth chart steven Matz is a starter because steven Matz is on the blue jays depth chart but marcus Simeon is not huh thank you alex according to alex our resident fact checker uh Simeon's deal has not been completed yet it is awaiting a physical. So look at Alex, man. There, there you have it. Alex's computer finally caught up. Hey, man. So yeah, right now what they have listed as starting pitchers is uh, uh, Hyunjin Ryu, Nate Pearson, Tanner Rourke, Robbie Ray, Trent Thornton, Tyler Chatwood, and Stephen Matz. Um, I honestly. I like Matt's in the rotation. I think he's going to be a good, probably four or five guy. 
if they're going to deploy him as a starter. I mean, he started 30 games for the Mets in each of the last two full seasons and with six starts last year and nine total appearances. Yeah, because at least in eighteen nineteen he averaged 30 starts with a round of four ERA, so back-end starter type guy, but a pretty good back-end starter. But I feel like they have to add at least one more arm to that rotation. At least one more. If you want to be a serious contender, you have to. Uh, that's a it's a good starting point, and with Trevor Bauer still floating around out there, which I I honestly think that Stephen Matt's move might be related to Bauer, and that the Mets uh, are opening up a rotation spot to bring in Bauer, so that they can have a one two three of Degrom, Bauer, and Syndergaard, and keep everyone in the NL East up at night. That's a scary rotation. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see Bauer go to a team like the Blue Jays because Trevor Bauer is insane. And he will only wants to sign one-year deals unless he gets that, that deal that we know he can get. Yeah, he's going for the Supermax. Yeah, he, he'd be really interesting to see how that plays out. Personally, I don't think he'll get it. I honestly think it, what he's going to end up doing is either an 8-240 or uh, a 1 at 30, 35. Yeah, I see him getting like or signing at least like a one or two year deal and i don't think it's because necessarily because of skill because obviously he won nl mvp last season but that was his what like second really good season he's been in the major since like 2014 he was on those really good cleveland teams but he was never the guy on those teams he was like he was the rick porcello of those teams what his other great season was 2017 i'm guessing uh 2017 and 2018 were his two big years yeah i mean he was he was fourth on the team in wins in 2018 which was his best season behind uh kluber carlos carrasco and mike clevenger uh clev was on that team too i I love clev yeah bauer's never been the guy up until last year if you look at everything he's done First, first off, the guy's crazy. He's a total head case, <laughs> but damn, he can he pitch. He's phenomenal. Because aside from that, he his ERA every year is over four. That's the problem. Along with last season being such a shortened season and him winning the the NL Cy Young, you know, some people think of last season as a wash just because it was so short. But I believe, like me, that. If he had a full season, he most likely still would have been the best pitcher in the National League. I'll put it this way. Last year was such an anomaly. Nathan Avaldi had his second lowest career ERA. Nathan Avaldi, whose greatest career accomplishment was uh, World Series Game 4 in 2018, where he pitched, how many innings was it? Like eight relief innings going into extras and held the fort down until Ian Kinsler bobbled that grounder. Fucking Ian Kinsler, man. I mean, they still won, so I I don't care. My only gripe with that is that uh, Ian Kinsler is still the default second baseman for the Red Sox in RBI Baseball 2018. See, we both have gripes with players over video games. Yeah, but mine's just because he started in the last game of the World Series, so he was like the last player that was listed as the starting second baseman for the Red Sox. That's all. List of players, list of players. There's a list of players that is out there that were on the 2021 MLB Hall of Fame ballot. And guess what happened, Eric? 
riddle me this. None of them got in. Nobody is going to go in in the 2021 MLB Hall of Fame. There were players on there. Uh, I think I was telling you yesterday the top three were Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens. They were uh, all within, I believe, like 10% of getting in, but nobody got in. Yeah, Schilling was 71.1, Bonds was 61.8, and Clemens was 61.6. Yeah, and they all need 75% to get in, as we know. Uh, None of them got in. In my opinion, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. This is a controversial take for some people. But hey, man, steroids only do so much. The man still had to go out there and swing the twig. He still had to see the ball hit the ball. You know, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling is a piece of shit human. As As a human, Kurt Schilling is dead to me. Even though I love the Red Sox and he was so instrumental in us winning the World Series in 2004... And the whole the whole bloody sock incident, legendary, right? But as a person, fuck Kurt Schilling. He'd he he started saying shit about the U.S. about the U.S. Capitol raid, and I'm pretty sure he's a Trump supporter too. So fuck him. Um, oh, you're pretty sure? What gave you that opinion? You know, just just a hunch. <laughs> I just took a stab in the dark. But yeah, fuck Kurt Schilling. But as a player, I think he deserves to be in the hall. Should character concerns be considered part of the hall of fame for baseball if the professional baseball writers association is going to be determining who goes to the hall of fame then should we really let them be the ones determining whose character is like good and whose whose isn't because we all know how petty baseball writers can be if you don't give them the time of day they will not vote for you if you if you're like the kind of person like trevor bauer where you can't stand like the media you don't like talking to the media. You don't like answering stupid questions. Like every day when you have a poor performance and the first thing that happens after the game is someone sticks a microphone in your face and say, hey, well, what could you have done different out there? If that's how you're going to look at it, then character shouldn't be a part of it unless there is a committee run by the Hall of Fame, which is the way the NFL does it. Let the people who operate the Hall of Fame be the ones to decide who gets in. I also think that that's part of the reason why Kurt Schilling isn't in, if I'm correct, because wasn't he, like, talking mad shit about the media at one point? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, Roger Clemens, though, I think should also be in, basically for the same reason as as uh, as Schilling, because they were both, like, the top three pitchers in, like, a, a era where everybody was doing steroids, and they still managed to dominate, even though Clemens has been tied to steroids, too, or at least suspicious of it i mean I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point we can comfortably say that clement has been using steroids throughout most of his career but at the same time if we're looking at the, those late 90s players you brought up the point who wasn't on steroids at that period in that time period besides like ken griffey right like and we know that ken griffey wasn't because his body was falling apart he definitely wasn't taking hgh um if you're gonna look at it from that standpoint Without testing, you can't justifiably say who was or who wasn't. In my opinion, the Hall of Fame is about the history of the sport. So if you're going to have the writers like voting for these people, you have to look at it as a, a standpoint of their historical impact on the game and whether or not you believe that steroids were a part of it. For everyone in that time period, they likely were. Like, th- that's it. 
but also even going back to like the influential part that you brought up like you can't deny that the 90s and early 2000s were like the like the peak of baseball when Barry Bonds was on the 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 home run race to to beat Aaron there was like not one at bat that like people didn't like switch to their channels to watch Barry Bonds hit just to see if he was going to hit a home run that was ESPN's cut too his at bats were must see TV cuz you want you needed to see when he was going to do it again but i will raise you one more the summer of 98 the the Maguire Sosa race it was either 98 or 99. I think it was 98. Was that 99? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 99. Well, Alex, uh, it was 98. So, yeah. So, you look at the summer of 98. Has baseball ever been more popular? Alex just said no, never. And he's right. The summer of 98 transcended the sport. It was front page news every night one of those two hit a home run as they were chasing the single season record steroids is what made baseball what it was in the late nineties and early two thousands. As much as I hated Roger Clemens for being on the Yankees teams that seemed to always torture my beloved Red Sox. He deserves to be in the hall of fame. A hundred percent. Like the man has over 350 wins. Literally nobody else has done that. He's one of what? Five pitchers who have struck out 20 batters in a game. If that, yeah, and doesn't he have like mad? Doesn't he have like six Cy Youngs or some shit? Like eight Cy Youngs? Yeah, he's. Uh, let me pull that up for you. But because fucking Alex isn't gonna fucking do it. Seven-time Cy Young Award winner for Clemens, two pitching triple crowns, an MVP, and he won MVP back in a year where back in a time when pitchers didn't win the MVP. Seven-time ERA champ. Like he was. I don't care what you say. Sure, he was on steroids, but so were the batters he was throwing to, and he was gassing it by him. They couldn't touch his stuff. This whole this whole steroid talk kind of brings up a different point that you and I were talking about yesterday as well. Is next year when A Rod and Big Poppy are going to be on the ballot together for the first time? Will they get in as first ballot Hall of Famers, even though they both definitely deserve it a hundred percent? For uh, David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, I think. This one's this one's tough for me because David Ortiz has this famous positive test from a sealed list of tests about what was tested positive for prior to the 03 season. And that was at a time when nothing was illegal or a very short list of things were illegal. As far as I'm concerned, he is a Hall of Famer. I don't know if he's first ballot. I, I would like to think that since Edgar Martinez got in, uh, David Ortiz is, I would say, fairly comfortably the number one DH of all time. So he should be in the Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez, on the other hand, another piece of shit. If you're gonna talk, if you're gonna hold Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens accountable, please remember that Alex Rodriguez was the ringleader of a whole steroid scandal back in the early 2010s. Like he he was recruiting guys into a clinic that was giving performance enhancing drugs. Going you know outside of the steroid era, we have the PED era, and you know A Rod was one of the ringleaders. I don't think there is any room. If Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are not in the Hall of Fame, then Alex Rodriguez should not be allowed within a hundred yards of it. And next year, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Clemens and Bonds' last year. 
So if they don't make it past that, then then what does it say for the other steroid guys? Because then if they get in, then it'll be a thing like, oh, why didn't Clemens and Bonds get in? Especially if right. J-Rod and Poppy get in. I know a lot of people who don't hold that positive test over David Ortiz's head. And not all of them are Red Sox fans. There are a lot of people of who are other from other fan bases that I know that I speak with and they they agree that you can't really hold something account a guy accountable for something that wasn't illegal in that vein the hall of fame voting is it, it is a joke at this point i'm not surprised that there were no inductees this year Yeah, the baseball writers these days are pretty trash for not, you know, putting anybody in, into the Hall of Fame this year. But they're still not as bad as the Houston Texans, who hired David Culley as their new head coach. David Culley came out and said that he took the job with Deshaun Watson being their quarterback in mind, even though he re requested a trade officially. And he very clearly wants out of Texas, or Houston specifically. And he doesn't want to be on that team anymore. But they also came out and said that they have no intentions of trading him, which I think is complete bullshit. Because if he doesn't want to be on the team, why are you going to force him to be on the team? He requested a trade. He's been nothing but like cordial, except for tweeting out that he's mad. But you know, who wouldn't be if you play for the Texans? If like all of a sudden I lost everything that allowed me to be productive at my job i'd be pretty pissed too so i i don't blame them i just think back to uh the video i think espn put out uh, after they lost the playoff game of him and jj watt talking and jj watt just tells them man we just wasted one of your seasons like i'm sorry we just wasted one of your seasons and it's true because the texans are trash and they haven't necessarily had a good team the whole time deshaun watson has been there and deshaun watson is like could be like a top uh, easily top five QB in the league. Well, they told him he was going to be part of the head coaching search. Wasn't it like he, he felt disrespected because he wasn't uh, involved in the talks for them hiring their new GM? I remember him hearing that he was told he would be involved in the head coaching search. And then when he made a suggestion of wanting to inter wanting to have the enemy interviewed, he was basically told to get out. And at that point, he's like, all right, well, trade me. That's what I heard, like, immediately after the talks of him even getting traded uh, came out. Like, like that, that was the first reason I heard. You, you need to get buy-in from the top. One of the things that made the Patriots so successful for so long, and I know you hate the Patriots, Gio, but... Fuck the Patriots. Go Niners. Yep, Alex. So, all right, so Alex just found that it was Watson's input for both the GM and the head coach that he was not asked his opinion on or anything like that. So, by all means, there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. There's even a lot to unpack from this past weekend's playoff games, am I right? You know, crazy games. I was completely wrong in my assessment that I had personally. I thought that the Bills were going to go over the Chiefs, except I also thought that Patrick Mahomes wasn't going to be playing because, you know, he got fucked up on that one hit. But the Bills also had a chance to win that game, and they just didn't do it as long, along with Aaron Rodgers. He, in my opinion, completely choked that game because Tom Brady gave him many chances to try and win, and he just couldn't lead the team down the field.
in the words of Keegan Michael Key, you done fucked up, A.A. Ron. God damn it, A.A. Ron. Fucked up again. But yeah, I mean, looking at those games, um, I think it's... I'm fairly comfortable saying that the Packers should have beat the t- beat beat the Bucks. Like that that game's on Aaron Rodgers. Literally, like right before the playoffs even started, my pick for the Super Bowl was Packers Chiefs, and even then, I only changed to the Bills after uh, the hit on Mahomes. So I was like, oh shit, if he doesn't play, then the Chiefs got this like a hundred percent. But then you know he somehow cleared concussion protocol in a week, which is a different conversation for a different day. But yeah, they ended up losing. Um, what was the score on that? Thirty-eight to twenty-four. Uh, the Bucks won thirty-one to twenty-six, which means in the playoffs, battle of the young goat and the old goat: Patrick Mahomes versus Thomas Trashcan Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. Go Chiefs. Disregarding me being a Patriots fan for a minute, I'm I'm a firm believer that if my team doesn't win. I just want whatever happens to be funny. And I would find nothing funnier than the, than the internet meltdown if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl and again. <laughs> if Tom Brady wins a seventh ring, I might never watch football again. The Bucks could go out and lose 49 to nothing, and I would not care. But if they go out and win, it is going to be hilarious watching people melt down over a football game. It's, it's going to be great. All right, so in reality, I hate the Patriots, and I say that I hate Tom Brady, but I, I actually don't like the Patriots, but Tom Brady is, like, the greatest of all time. Like, there's literally, like, even before the season, there was no debate, really. Um, Joe Montana is still my personal GOAT, but the real GOAT is Tom Brady, and now I'm on record saying this. He's doing things at 43 that most guys can't do at 27. It's It's amazing. He really is something else. And I mean, a lot of, he's hitting on a lot of deep balls this season. Uh, he's still throwing for high yardage, but his completions are. So, yeah, Alex gave us the stat line 18 of 33 for 189 yards, you said, Alex? 199 yards uh, against the Saints. That was in the game against the Saints. Against the Packers, he was 20 for 36, 280 yards, three touchdowns, but three picks and i'm saying right now if he somehow goes out and throws even like two picks against this chiefs team there's almost no way the bucks are gonna win yeah mahomes mahomes isn't gonna miss those opportunities like rogers managed to and you would think with rogers's experience which is the experience factor is a, a big reason why a lot of people have brady going over mahomes in this matchup but if aaron Rodgers fucked it up and we know that you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't going to do the the same shit if Brady throws that same amount of picks, then, you know, it's kind of looking like a Chiefs win to me. Unless Tom Brady comes out and just completely balls out. Bucks don't have a chance in a game where Tom Brady throws that many picks. But that said, I don't think the Chiefs defense is as good as the Packers was. You think? I think the Packers had a better defense. I, I don't buy into the Chiefs defense whatsoever. It's one of those defenses that is built around playing with a lead. And in, a, in the Super Bowl, you can't bank on playing with a lead. Look at what the 2013 Broncos and what that, that Peyton Manning offense did. That defense was designed to play with a lead. Now, you can say everything you want about the Seahawks defense in that game, but that offense showed up too. And that defense was not built 
to go out and shut down an offense that was moving the ball. As far as um, moving the ball around, I feel like the only thing that is my concern going into the game rooting for the Chiefs is that this is this might be, or you could just flat out say that this is Tom Brady's most complete team he's had in like a while, at least. Like they could run the ball. They have what, like at least like three decent to really good receivers. Their defense is really good. I will argue this is his most complete team since 2007. But even if we're comparing, there's a lot of comparisons you can make in the Super Bowl game because you have Gronk against Travis Kelsey, you have Mahomes against Brady, you have Mike Evans against Tyreek Hill. I know they're two kind of di- different. They're differently built, but Tyreek Hill is also a nice deep threat because of his speed as opposed to his height and speed. Yeah, Tyreek Hill is a unique player. I don't think you can really compare him to anyone just because he does so much so well all over the field. Who's their running back? Technically, Le'Veon Bell is one of them. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is very good. He's just a great all-around running back. And I honestly don't know who else they have aside from that. I mean, their running backs are really good. Who do you have taken the win? I'm a provocateur, so I'm going to take the Bucks. I'm taking Chiefs. We already knew that, though. Alex is on my side, just for the record. He says Chiefs as well, two against one. One thing I can almost guarantee is that it's going to be entertaining. I hope it's not going to be a snore fest like the fucking the Rams one that they were in against the Patriots. Uh, I actually love the Rams versus the Patriots. That was an awesome defensive game, and I will not hear anything other. I mean, yeah, I, I also like defense uh, or defensive like oriented games, but that was a little too much defense. The Super Bowl may be a couple Sundays from now, but to me, the Super Bowl is every single Wednesday when I get to sit down and watch some nice AEW wrestling because that's really the highlight of my week and sometimes the highlight of my month. So let's get into some AEW. Alright, so the show started out with Archer versus Kingston, but unfortunately I couldn't watch this match at all because I was watching it on YouTube TV and my screen was black. But I saw some some videos, Uh, they posted the whole video after. Um, pretty entertaining match for a glorified squash match because Archer dominated for most of the match. Kingston really didn't do anything until Butcher and the Blade drag out Jake Roberts from backstage because uh, before the match, Archer told him to stay in the back. And Ali slides at Kingston some brass knuckles and he hits a nasty spinning back fist on Archer for the win. Yeah, I mean, that match looked awesome for Lance Archer. They really, really put him over big. The kind of theme of the night was guys looking looking dominant, looking real damn good in losses, or even wins for that matter. So I I really liked it. I remember watching it thinking to myself, wow, Eddie Kingston hasn't got any offense in. And I really love the way they did it. You know, sending Jake Roberts to the back at the beginning of the match really kind of set the tone because you know at all of those numerous false finishes where Archer kind of laid off or like didn't keep the pressure up on Eddie because he wanted to make him suffer. Jake would have been in the corner yelling at him to finish up and end the match. So that was a great touch sending Jake to the back. It's great because it set up the finish too, where the Butcher and Blade drag Jake Roberts onto the stage, distracting Bryce Remsburg, distracting Lance Archer, and giving Allie the opportunity to give Eddie Kingston, I don't know, was that brass knucks or like, was that something else? I couldn't really tell. Yeah, I think I think they said on commentary that it was brass knucks, but it didn't look like it at all. 
they really did a very good job of setting it up so that he does have an upward hill to climb because he has to beat down the whole family. Lance Archer looked like an absolute monster, which I really don't think he has looked like a monster on Dynamite enough recently. So it was a great touch. I really loved that. Yeah, there were a, a, another couple guys that wanted to look like monsters by destroying some shit. Because we have the Starby boys, father and son duo, Darby Allen and Sting, cutting a promo after that. Um, they say that, that they're hoodlums, so they destroyed the set behind them because, you know, they're hoodlums. This also ties in later on in the show because Team Taz cuts a promo where uh, they try to one-up them by destroying a very random merch table found outside of the building to show them that they are very much more hoodlum than the Starby boys. Not to be a conspiracy theorist here, but that merch table was in the middle of the parking lot. It was outside. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even close to the arena. Like, I, I'm I'm convinced that that was a setup. I think, I think Taz set those guys up. Were they just bootleggers? Were they setting bootleg merch? I think he hired those merch guys to come in, set up a merch table for Sting stuff, so that he could set up this great promo. But he didn't tell anyone. He was just the mastermind behind it. So you're saying that there's a darker, deeper criminal past? I'm saying that Taz probably owns a shell corporation registered somewhere in the Cayman Islands that hired these two poor guys to set up this merch table. <laughs> Gimmick alert. Oh, wow. Guys. So for those of you that don't know, this isn't a gimmick, but Alex gimmick on this show is that he hates the good stuff in wrestling. He hates Kenny Omega. He hates Ricky Starks. Like, I... Ugh. He hates Eddie Kingston. He hates Eddie Kingston. He hates Eddie Kingston. He hates the Dark Order. He hates kids. He hates babies. He hates love. And I hate him. Alex, you should be ashamed of yourself. You don't you don't deserve to defend yourself, Alex. Don't be complaining where these these poor people can't hear you. Speaking of defending yourself, that's what Griff Garrison was just trying to do in this match against M. Jericho F. M. Jericho F versus the Varsity Blondes, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. Griff Garrison was trying to avenge himself from being embarrassed by Maxwell a couple weeks ago. I had a really fun time watching this match, did you? For the most part, yeah. Again, uh, it was more so a rub for the, the young guys. The heels have trouble keeping up with the young guns, uh, but they went after Jericho hits a nasty-ass Judas effect while Pillman was going for some sort of move off the second rope. Oh, no, it was a springboard. It was a springboard nothing. A springboard into a Judas effect, followed by a lion salt and a very uh, snarky grin directly into the camera to let everybody know that he still got it. Yeah, I mean, like I said last week, I I don't think the lion salt from last week was his uh was his fault. I think it was bad ring ropes that night. But Alex, you know our fact checker, and he just confirmed what I said last week about other guys having the same issues on those ropes. So it was nice to see Jericho is not, at least for now, going to break his neck doing the lion salt over the age of fifty while being a very bloated mess. But Hey, he he hit it. We're happy he didn't die in the ring. Thank God. You know if that this was a great match. I thought the Varsity Blondes looked really, really good. Uh, if we get to see more of them, I wouldn't be upset. They really do add to their really young tag team roster, though. With them, Top Flight, Private Party, they're all going to be the the future of the tag team division in that company. Hopefully. Yeah. 
Yeah, the only thing that's holding the Varsity Blondes back right now is, I think, Brian Pillman Jr.'s contract status in MLW. Ah, uh, yeah, I forgot he was still on MLW. Yeah, so I, I think once he really gets his release from MLW, uh, we'll we'll start to see the Varsity Blondes maybe be a a bit of a bigger team. They took a bad angle, something that I'm, I haven't been enjoying. The Varsity Blondes injected some energy into it. And, you know, I really like that match. Also, unfortunately, it's not, you know, the only kind of feud in AEW that needs a nice shot of energy and adrenaline in it. Because this Cody and Shaq feud makes me want to pluck all of the hairs of my armpit out one by one. Because I hate it so much. Why is Shaq on AEW, why is Shaq going to have a match with his big, goofy, disrespectful to NBA players head ass? Why is that a thing? Cross-promotional synergy. But I don't care. I don't want to see Shaq on my... I want to see Shaq on my screen maybe less than I want to see Bill Goldberg. The only good thing that could possibly come out of this is Charles Barkley on commentary for the Shaq versus Cody match. Nah, Charles Barkley got to come out and screw Shaq. That's the only way I would find this interesting, and Charles Barkley has to cut a promo on him after the match. But keep it under a minute. Shaq, I just had to come out here with a chair, because your match is just terrible. Terrible. Shaq, I don't know what you're doing in the ring. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. Yeah, it's bad, dude. During this segment, Cody lets Arn do the talking. And Arn, out the gate, asks Cody if the date June 29th, 1985, has any type of significance to him, to which Cody says no, even though it is the day before he was born. Cody doesn't know the day before he was born. I don't know. I'm tired of Cody, but I've also have been tired of him since, like, he had the TNT championship. So, I mean, I love Cody. I've always loved Cody. He's been one of my favorites ever since he slapped Randy Orton in the mouth in 2007. As he should have. It was awesome. It's one of those things where I've always liked Cody. Cody is a big part of the reason why I got back into wrestling several years ago. And, my God, this angle is so bad. I don't necessarily dislike him as, like, a wrestler. I just don't like his character or the shit that he's doing at all. He's just a giant douchebag. He doesn't want to be a face. He doesn't want to be a heel. Honestly, dude, he needs to shit or get off the pot. Can't tease one thing forever with no payoff. Because then people are never going to pay attention to you if there's not going to be any major payoff. And even the payoff, or what was supposed to be the payoff of this feud, got fucked up because he couldn't pull out. Because uh. then Red Velvet comes out, and uh, she essentially says that she's going to take Brandy's place in the match at Revolution against Shaq and Jade. Jade has a great look. I think she's been getting get- she's been getting better on her promos. And I think she be definitely benefits from some more pre-taped stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if we can get good performance out of Red Velvet, help her get over, I think she has the opportunity to become a, a hot young commodity in the wrestling business. Speaking of hot and young, do you know hot young Briley, Eric? Hot young Briley? Uh, I, I do. I do remember him. Otherwise known as Ryan Namath. Hot young Briley of WWE fame, <laughs> brother of Dolph Ziggler, is in this upcoming match against Hangman Adam Page. Best Twitter handle in the business, Hot Young Briley. Love it. Shout out to Hot Young Briley, man. 
apparently pro wrestling and overtly sexual hip swiveling runs in the Namath family uh, because that's what we got out of Hot Young Briley in this match for the most part. At some point in the match, Matt Hardy meanders down to the ring during the match, coaching up Hangman in certain spots. Hangman takes Briley's head off clean with a Larry and puts it back onto his shoulders. Nice little so job just to knock it off again with a buckshot lariat. After the match, Matt offers Hangman a spot in his locker room like a sick fucking weirdo so he doesn't have to change in the hallway adjacent to catering. Does Matt just want to see Hangman's dick on soft? Pause. Normally, I would be opposed to talking this much about someone's penis, but considering there was a whole BTE angle about how everyone loved Hangman because of the size of his dick, then I am cool with talking about it. Is that is that going to be the uh, the the nail in the coffin for this feud? Is Hangman getting dressed in Matt Hardy's locker room? Uh, no, I think what's going to happen is that Matt Hardy's going to pretend to befriend him, and then he's going to pull some carny shit. Because you may remember my thoughts on Matt Hardy is that he is a carny motherfucker. Money grabbing carny. Hangman is going to end up in that locker room, and then he's going to neg him. And make him feel even worse about himself and try to get a cut of hangman's profits. I think this can go one of two ways. I think it'll go either he, uh, Matt does what you just said and cons him out of some sheriff, cheats him like shit, and then the hangman's like, oh yeah, this is why I don't want to be part of a group. Or Matt ends up like turning on him and attacking him, and then the Dark Order comes out to help hangman further solidifying that story and that and that relationship in order for them to get his confidence back and then they could have a feud of silver reynolds and hangman against the hardy party since the hardy party's heel now holy shit i think you just cracked it i literally have not i have not considered that i think you might i think you might be onto something there aew hire me i know how to write i like writing i could write the show i could help you tony please that's actually a really interesting way of looking at it as Matt Hardy is tries to manipulate him and he fails. Is he going to just be like, well, if you don't want to join our team, we're going to make you regret it, basically. Because it'll basically end in either either Hangman finally joining a group like the Dark Order or just further solidifying his hatred for groups because of Matt Hardy. So either way, you're advancing some type of story, either way that they decide to go. Yeah, so I, I think... He... I think, yeah, this could probably end with him joining the Dark Order. Hopefully. That's that's what I want. Or it could push him even further away. Shit. Dude, there's just there's so many layers to this Hangman stuff. There's so many different directions he can go. It's awesome. Speaking of advancing stories, we had a nice advancement in the Jurassic Express FTR feud with the Jungle Boy versus Dax Harwood match that was up next on the card. Uh, before the match, it was announced that Tully and Cash were going to be handcuffed to Luchasaurus. It wasn't really announced beforehand, so they announced it uh, during the show, and they played a nice little promo package to show us how we got to this situation. Uh, Jungle Boy's theme song is amazing, and uh, when crowds are allowed back in the building, they're going to go crazy with that shit, singing the chorus over and over again like they were during this one match. But imagine if it was like 15,000 people as opposed to like 1,000. Amazing. Uh, Dax misses a charge in the corner and Jungle Boy focuses on that left arm for the, most of the match. A lot of six sequences in this match. Both of these guys can really go whether it's a tag team or a singles match. I feel like uh, FTR's ability to make people look good is underrated uh, both individually and as a tag team. This is awesome. Chance erupt. As these two trade many roll-ups ending up in near fall like there was legitimately at least 15 or 20 of them in a row. 
fast-paced action the kind of match that i love watching because it was the old school style mixed with the new school style as far as pacing and storytelling combining together jungle boy is a monster after this match uh, because of the way that he won and him taking a complete beating and still pulling out the win with the snare trap which is just like a modified stf shout out to john cena even though we can't see him after the match ftr get a pair of scissors in the ring and they cut off luchasaurus's horns and and while they're attempting to cut off jungle boy's hair marco scu and top flight come out to make the save and for some reason marco had a golden chair i don't know where he got that from they really cut off his horns he didn't deserve all of that what i really loved about this match was like you said jungle boy looked like a monster coming out of this match like he has taken some beatings in the past uh, most notably his 10 minute match against chris jericho december 2019 but this has been his best showing so far like far and away like he dax just beat the living crap out of him and he just kept getting up that sequence where they just kept trading pinning predicaments was really really good i really liked that i thought the finish was coming out of that uh i thought jungle boy was going to end up getting one of those roll-ups to stick but yeah jungle boy looked great he, he took a beating he's really shown how tough he is i think he's a future star and this definitely felt like his coming out party don't say anything don't say anything because you have all of them and you're going to pre-order the one that they just announced too and i'm sick and tired of you and cody and kenny and their figures okay please give Britt baker a fucking figure and i'll buy it. i'll buy three of them please <laughs> anyways shanna had a very good showing in her first dynamite match back since february 25th of last year so she's it's been almost a whole calendar year since, since she's been on dynamite but kind of happy to see her because she had a she had a good show and she's decent in the ring pretty fluid you know she put on a good match with Britt baker but i fuck with Britt baker and i feel like she could give anybody a good match uh at the end Britt wins via lockjaw which she applied after the uh, the glove she had on had already touched the mat many times which i think might be nastier than if she went in raw she attacks Shanna, prompting Thunder Rosa to come out and make the save, you know, because they're trying to further the storyline between them, leading into their match at Beach Break. You know, nothing special about this match. It was a good, straightforward TV match. Uh, the post-match beatdown really was just a setup to get Thunder Rosa out there. I can't believe the 180 I've done on Britt Baker. When she started, they pushed her as a babyface, and it just didn't work. But ever since she turned heel, she's been whites out and this feud with thunder rosa has been amazing it's been incredible and i am very very excited hopefully thunder rosa signs in AEW. pretty sure she's a free agent right now i love thunder rosa she's so good oh i love her so much she's awesome so i'm i'm really excited for beach break next week i think there's a good lineup of matches including kip and penelope's wedding Oh, I can't wait to see how Orange Cassidy finagles his way into that one. I hope he hides in a cake. He's going to do something wacky, and I'm going to love it. But I'm really excited for Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. As am I. I was also excited for the main event of this show because I knew it was going to be a good match just based on the participants involved. We had the Young Bucks and the Good Bizzles versus the Dark Order. Before the match starts, we have a, a nice backstage promo where... For some reason, Gallows refers to Don Callis as the Donaconda, 
Whoa, and Gio, don't be going out there questioning why he's calling him the Donaconda. Listen, listen, the Donaconda is a good brother, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be disrespecting him. Listen, if you guys can't tell, this is Eric's Lucalo's voice. He's been doing this ever since we got into the Discord call, and I'm just sick and tired of Don Callis and Eric's fucking Gallo's voice. Just be happy that I'm not doing the Gallo's uh, talking about everyone's penises like yeah. he does on BTE. So yeah, he calls him the Donaconda, and somehow AEW has managed to make me uncomfortable over nonsensical things in back-to-back -back weeks with this this week and last week the oil painting of Don without a shirt on. I just, I don't, I can't do this anymore. Every time Gal is on my screen or anything involving the storyline, I might have to look away to avoid vomiting. Yeah, beat up John Moxley was a very nice touch to that promo too. I have a lot of problems. Uh, but something that's not a problem is my love for the Dark Order, and I love the Dark Order because I feel like the two tag teams representing them in this match, when they debuted, were never meant to be in any main event segment. Based on how they debuted, and now they're one of the biggest babyface acts, not only in AEW, but in all of wrestling. Meet man John Silver is in the ring after a commercial break with the signature, he's heating up, hot tag. A little later on, Silver and Reynolds hit their stunner into a German combo into Stu and Uno's fatality, which is their little uh, gory bomb cutter little gimmick. We end up getting a quadruple super kick from the quote-unquote elite, which leads to a near fall broken up by Uno. But unfortunately, the Good Brothers hit Uno with a magic killer followed by the Young Bizzles hitting a Meltzer driver for the pin on Stu Grayson. This was a very entertaining main event, but the entertainment did not stop there because after the match, the Elite are cutting a promo, but it gets interrupted by a flying Ray Phoenix who just jumps off the top rope and delivers a double super kick to the Young Bucks. Uh, and then after that, he follows he follows himself up by almost killing himself on a big tope con hilo through the middle, the middle and top rope where he lands on the guardrail and he just sits there relishing in what he just did to Doc Gallows on the outside. In the ring, we have Kenny who tries to get involved, but John Moxley turns around with his spidey senses and delivers a paradigm shift, and Kenny stands on his forehead with a nasty cell for at least 15 seconds. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch it, but when I was watching it in real time, I, just, I was watching John Moxley's face, and I was just like, he knows Kenny's coming. He knows where Kenny is, and he just kind of got this look in his face right before he turned around, just like, yeah, he thinks he got the drop on me. And that 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 quick turnaround hitting that the paradigm shift. Sorry, I almost called it the Death Rider. Is the Death Rider just the one off the top rope? Well, he does the paradigm shift and the Death Rider interchangeably. He uses the name interchangeably. Oh, it's Death Rider in New Japan. But yeah, that was really fun. That was a really good match. A really good way to end the show. Uh, I would like to point out that you didn't say anything about Silver and. The big LG Doc Gallows in the middle of the ring with their showdown. That was hysterical. Bro, Silver was sizing his big ass up. Silver's not scared of anybody. That's why I fuck with him. Gallows had a solid foot and a half on him. At least, and like maybe like at least 100 pounds. What I actually found really interesting was before all that chaos happened after the match ended with Ray Phoenix running out. The Young Bucks grabbing the microphone and talking about how they're in next week's tag team battle royal to determine the number one contenders at Revolution. If they win, they get to pick their own opponent. They very, very clearly 
are going to challenge Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson. It's what I would say, but you know that the Donaconda is going to have something special pulled up his sleeve. Gallows and Anderson are in that match. I'm telling you right now. I think it's going to be one of those things where uh, the Battle Royale is about to start and their theme music is going to hit. I don't like this. I don't like this. The deviled eggs. Geo, please, please edit that out. This that little singing that you just did there. You... The deviled eggs. After that promo, the chaos that Geo mentioned breaks loose. John Moxley helps clear the ring. Kenny Omega gets paradigm shifted, and uh, John Moxley does a little bit of peacocking around the ring. And I'm gonna take a second right here to peacock myself because. Last week, I made comments about how, you know, a couple of days before the news broke, I was, you know, pondering what was going to happen, what was going to happen to NXT on Wednesday nights. Just a couple of days after we recorded, news broke that WWE is going to be moving the network over to NBC's Peacock streaming service. So I'm taking that one as a W. I'm going to say I called it. And yeah, I think it's $4.99 a month. To get WWE Network with uh, commercials, so Alex just confirmed four ninety nine commercials, uh, nine ninety nine without. All right, Eric, I I will one hundred percent give you your flowers and give you your props. Now, you definitely called it last week, and here we are. Do you work for WWE? You an insider? You got some inside sources? You know Vince McMahon? No, I just told Chris Jericho I I give him a bottle of Grey Goose if he found that information out for me. Ah, so you got a mole. Apparently he knows enough people in WWE to be able to pull that kind of info out. Who'd have thunk? I never would have thought. At the end of the day, do you think the move to Peacock is going to better or worsen them? Like as like from a, a viewer's perspective? It depends. And the reason it depends is that if they shift it to be a premier program on Peacock as a means to drive people in, I think their viewership numbers are going to take a massive hit. If they move it to a different night, maybe it gets a little bit better because at the end of the day, if you have to pay additional to watch NXT again and not have it on USA, that's going to cause some people to not watch. But also if it's the same night as AEW and you have to decide between going into the Peacock app and watching NXT or going onto your cable or YouTube TV or whatever streaming service you have to watch AEW, I think what's inevitably going to happen is more people are going to pick AEW and just stick with AEW throughout the night instead of having to switch around apps. One of the things I saw I saw online that could pose a problem is the the search functionality on Peacock. It's not accurate at all compared to what they currently have on the WWE Network. So, like, if you go in and you type in, I did this once, I fucking super crazy, so I could watch all the fucking super crazy versus Tajiri matches from ECW. Like, you can't do that on Peacock because it doesn't bring anything up. Maybe they work with WWE now to help bolster that search function because it's still not going to be for another couple of months, so there's they still have time to sort some of that stuff out. But I'm going to take that one as a major W for myself. Only last thing I would ever have to say about tonight is... uh. Blue Demon Jr. is running for mayor in Mexico, and he said he will remove his mask in private for election officials to verify his identity, but he wants to run as Blue Demon Jr. So if by chance 
you are in Mexico and you are listening to this podcast, vote vote for Blue Demon Jr. Oh no, you already know they're voting for for, for Blue Demon Jr. Do the local celebrity man. That'll be like Arnold winning the fucking governor spot in California. Fuck Arnold. He's he yeah he's no Blue Demon Jr. in my eyes. Terminator who? Terminator who? Alright guys, this is the end of the show. Wanted to thank you all for coming out. Wanted to thank Alex for being our fact checker and talking over us the whole time we've been recording like a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you, Alex. Thank you for actually coming on. I appreciate it. Dude, it's my job to bury Alex. Know your place. Alright, I-, I love you, Alex. I mean, let me put you over. I'll lay down and take the one, two, three for you. Don't worry. Pause. Yeah, sooner or later, Alex will be a part of this, as in you guys will hear his audio, not all of it, because I hate him. But also, thank you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, send all your family and friends. We gotta get that ad revenue so we can buy Alex a new computer. He really needs it. Blue Chew, if you're watching this, I need you. I'm gonna be honest. So hit a, hit hit your boy up. You know, Twitter down there in the description. Send me a DM. We can work something out. Send me some free samples, and I'll let you know what happens. I thought we weren't going to be talking about cocks in this episode. Here we are. God damn it. <laughs> that, what a great way to end the show. Thank you, everybody, that, that checks this out. Hope everybody has a great night, day, whenever you're listening to this. Everybody stay safe. Wear your mask. And peace. Peace.